Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right, we are back with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today we have Randy Holland with us from over there in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Randy has a ton of experience in a lot of different things, um, but in the uh, real estate side, he does. He's a multifamily syndicator, as well as a um, he's managed property management uh, in the office and retail space, and he is a broker. Um, so Randy has all the experience you could definitely you could want in real estate. So I'm sure he has a lot of wisdom to impart on us today. Randy, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Okay, my pleasure. So I'm I'm often you know I may have some advice. I'm often wrong, but I'm never in doubt. How's that? <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, that's the way we all like to be, right? All right. Uh, I told you right before we got on here, we like to start with stories. So why don't you take us back to the beginning of your story? How'd you get started in real estate? Yeah, so I uh, basically I ran out of money as a songwriter. That's how I got there. <laughs> uh, in 1985, we moved from Nashville to LA. I was an aspiring uh, writer and um, had a new son. And uh, so Jenny and I uh, had moved, and I was working as a recording engineer some, but but trying to write as much as possible. And we just got, got to the point where we realized I got to get, I got to do something else. And so it was the, the family security thing that kind of drew me, drove me into it. And I, I, I got my license and I got to start with Marcus and Millichap in 1987, 1987 and was rookie of the year that year and had a fabulous run. And uh, yet uh, still when, I don't know, 80, so 96 came around, we realized we had to, moved back to Nashville because our son was about to be a first grader and um, we knew we didn't want to do it in Southern California. So back we came and um, having been a realtor, uh, I mean, a, a commercial broker with Marcus Milchap all those years, I was kind of ready to make a break of it. It was, I don't know if you remember much about that time, but we had all lived through the failure of the savings and loans and all that time. Um, so I got into the fitness business. I actually syndicated, a business um, uh, that we ended up running for 15 years, put my kids through school and, and, uh, and it was a great run, but we, the fitness business was really starting to change. And in 2010, what, uh, what, what kind of fitness business was it? Yeah. Okay. So fair question. Um, we were really heavily involved in personal training. Um, we, we had a, a business where we kind of took over your life for 10 weeks at a time. We had about a, like a boot camp kind of thing. Yeah, we had a six-month waiting list to get into it. It was fun. But what happened was at the end, by, by the, the great uh, financial collapse of 2008, uh, you know, that kind of money to spend became real optional. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so we watched, uh, you know, our, our revenue fall dramatically. And we also saw this, this new kind of fitness happening, you know, that instead of having one-on-one -on -one training, everybody was buying club positions uh, at like uh, CrossFit Orange Theory or hot yoga or something. It's just an, an alternative that we couldn't compete with. So we were, we got out in 2012, sold the business. And that's when I got back into real estate. So I took a, about a 15 year hiatus from it, but 
Um, boy, I wish I had perfect time to get back in 2020. No, it was, it was, but I truly do wish I never got out. Um, if I have a regret, that's probably it. So yeah, that's it. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I love fitnesses. I I don't know if you'd call it a hobby, but it's a thing that I really like to do outside of real estate. Um, and I've always wanted to start a fitness uh, business, but I, you know, but when I get to the point of thinking, I'm actually going to do it, I'm always like, no, just stick to what you're doing. Stick to real estate. Yeah. Just buy your membership and, 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 (laughs) and leave the rest of those that really want to just have a lifestyle business. It's it, cause that's all it can really ever be. Yeah. I think. Yep. Um, so you switched over to real estate back yeah. over to real estate yeah. in 2012. Um, were you going into multifamily at that point or how'd you get started after that? Well, of course, I'd been around multifamily all those preceding years. Uh, when, when, when we were in the fitness business and built four stores, we, we started a general contracting business and, mm. and that kind of gave us an advantage that we continue to benefit from now where we, um, you know, as, as, as deal sponsors, and I'm going to, this this goes into the whole syndication thing, which may or may not be anything we want to try to tackle today. But when you're when you're an asset manager of, of one of these things, you look for ways to be uniquely qualified to to deliver value, right? And so, among all the retail asset managers out there and general partners that are syndicating deals, most of them have to go hire a general contractor and pay the rates that they charge, and it is expensive. Uh, never so expensive as it is now. Uh, moreover, we also, we, we have really great offshore relationships with suppliers and we bring, we bring assets in from China and Vietnam and India at about a 30% discount from what we oh, can wow. find here. And so that with our labor leadership kind of capabilities, we're able to really change what, what we can get done in terms of unit renovations uh, with less money. And that gives us an advantage to do two, one of two things, either make more money for the limp, for the partners or be able to pay just a little bit more than the other guys. That was what was happening in 2021, right? When everybody was competing over these prices were getting frothy and we couldn't really compete. You know, you, you couldn't end up really paying what it took to get the deal oftentimes. And no, don't get me wrong. We lost a lot of deals because we couldn't get bid up so high, but we really also benefited because we were able to, achieve you know an IRR that that others just couldn't do because they didn't have the advantage with with respect to the build out cost yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um and yeah in you know 2020 2021 those those oh prices gosh. were just obscene i <laughs> i did buy my best deal during that time but um did you that's good for you man well, yeah. uh, we we have a deal that we're probably hoping to dispose of soon that we bought in 21 and it might end up being our best deal too is to deal in Huntsville, Alabama. So it's always interesting. You know, you just, all the, the sun and the moon and the stars sometimes have to align for you. And yeah. they usually, you know, they don't have to all come together for you to do well, but when they do, boy, it's great. That's the thing. Uh, like if I gave any new investor advice um, on the acquisition side, especially, I would just tell them like, whenever I put the fourth effort, I always want to see the return. Um, like right. immediately, I want to see that one-to-one ratio, but Acquisitions, I feel like, is the one thing that you can, you can be doing it for a year and not get anything, and then all of a sudden you have this just killer deal come out of nowhere um, you didn't expect, and it's just plops right down in your in your lap. So it's one of those things that you just got to keep going until you find the right thing. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of friends of mine who are also in this space who 
started out the year realizing that, oh, wow, they, they may, their lender may require them to buy a rate cap. And, and you know, that's a $500,000, you know, thing or a million dollars to buy an, an, another year of rate cap to keep everybody happy and not retrade the, the debt. And if you weren't able to do that, you might, you were really hung because they had to sell. And um, that's a bad situation to get into. It's, it's unfortunate because the truth about real estate in particular, multifamily real estate is time really does heal all wounds. Yeah. And um, as long as you can make it to the next interval, you, you, you must, I mean, there's yeah. no reason uh, if you're doing a quality job on the asset management and if you've got a really, a reasonable professional management company, you can, you can withstand the storm and it's important not to panic. Yeah. And I feel like that's a, um, a message that all seasoned investors like yourself try to convey to, you know, to people that, um, if you buy something, hold it, uh, you know, that's you might right. be underwater for a second, but if you can hold it until the next, you know, in the next valley up to the next hill, then you're going to see the return that you were hoping for. No, that's right. Sell an asset to pay pay the freight so it can keep going. You know, do whatever you must, but don't panic. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Um, awesome. So you, you've had experience in pretty much every different business model business uh, <laughs> that you can in real estate. I mean, you're a broker, you're a property manager, you do syndications. Um, out of everything that you've done, what has been your favorite method of executing re- real estate, doing real estate? Well, I've always I actually really enjoyed being a broker because the, the negotiation process for me is something that I'm, I'm it's kind of a superpower. And I, at least that's what my family and colleagues tell me is I really enjoy and I don't panic and I don't get, and it's just, you know, it's reps. I've done so many reps and transactions that it makes me calm and, and, what was what's the word, Jenny? Creative. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I uh, sorry, I'm getting some help from the gallery here. I hope you don't mind. Um, <laughs> but um, I've really always enjoyed that. But secondarily, I really love the underwriting process and, and the dealing with 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 investors, because, you know, if you go into the deal with sort of the, the, the internal promise that you're just going to tend carefully to your integrity and don't overpromise. But what you promise, you deliver on time. And if you can't deliver it on time, you, you as fast as you possibly can, you get in there and t- say you're going to change it. You know, that, those are the things that you do to tend to your to your integrity, and uh, it makes the conversations with investors go really, really well. And it's always astounded me a little bit that having those conversations with them. I mean, this past year has not been fun. We we, we haven't been doing uh, distributions on any of our assets this year because everything's on a, on a variable loan and yet everybody's okay. And um, they might call me a little hot, but by the time the conversation's over, they get it and, and they're not worried. And I think that's the main thing. I mean, you can't promise the world and you can't promise things you can't deliver, but you can certainly say, this is my heart and this is how I feel about this. And this is why I still believe in this asset. And um and I do happen to believe in all. I don't. I don't think I have a dog in my in my roster right now. And so it's these are easy conversations, but but they're not easy if you're afraid uh, of anything. And I think you only get sort of unafraid again with reps. Mm. 
things just shouldn't scare you as long as you're liquid and you've got uh, the ability to communicate. So that's, that's my message to everybody. Uh, I like it. I mean, that's a good message. Um, there's a few things you said in there that I feel like really hit home for me. Uh, one is don't overpromise. Uh, this right. is some, when I do my underwriting, I always have worst case achievable and then best case. And sure. I like to look at the best case because it's like, you know, this is something that can oh, be done. Yeah, we all um, do. But I've I've learned now to when I approach investors to give them a, a version of the story that's between worst case and achievable. Um, just right. so that, you know, if it still underwrites at that point, then it once you go full cycle on the deal, um, they'll be happy. They'll be happier with the with the over, with the returns that they get that were one hundred percent expected. One hundred percent. No, that's because this is a long game. I mean, people don't generally get into this because of just for one investment. I mean, and, and it's important that the people that you get in your, your corral with you understand that it's a long game because what you, you hope to be able to achieve is we, we try to get a 1.7 equity multiple uh, over, over the long run for our investors. And that's a three to five year hold. We do that. And in fact, you know, I, I only get excited about an underwriting project if I really think it's a two, but I'm still only going to say it's a 1.7, you know, because, you know, maybe we'll get lucky. But the truth is, is no deal lands where you think it's going to land. Some are slightly better. Some are slightly worse. And um, that's just the reality. Yeah. Yeah. There, you, it's impossible to underwrite a deal perfectly because you don't know what's going to happen in the future, in the economy, in the local right economy. On. There's just things that you cannot um, cannot know, and that's uh, that's just the case with real estate. Um, I also like that you said make sure you're liquid. I've gone into deals too many times without without um, raising enough reserves, and it's a lesson that I am that I've kicked myself enough in the past, and now I need to you know something that I'm definitely putting into my deals now is make sure that you have reserves in 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 the bank account um, when you raise right. the deal raise the well, we've done the it deal. I think everybody's done it bro but the only way you learn is by walking through that that dark place but it, it, <laughs> it you, you can't you can't let that happen to you repeatedly right I mean so that becomes a very very important lesson I also can't emphasize enough how important it is if you're a GP I'm in a mastermind with uh with a bunch of guys out of the Sumrock group in Dallas and they, uh, they, so many have gotten themselves into situations where they're, they're GPs with people that just didn't know. Mm. And now they're in lawsuits because mm. one, one GPs actually changed, called the title company, had them change where the money was good to be sent. And he reinvested in a new deal and didn't pay his, his partners. Oh, I mean, this geez. is unbelievable. And, um, and how does that happen? I mean, you, you better know the people that you're do, you're you're getting into business with, and um, there's some of these deals have 10, 11, 12, 15 GPs. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, it, it is. It, it's one of those things that's emerging because prices, you know, shot up really quickly um, at the time when also equity was starting to get a little bit more questionable, and they felt like they needed to bring in more GPs who could write, find more money from other, you know, friends and family. So it's just a, a bad deal. You know, work, find two or three guys that you want to do deals with and just keep doing them with those guys because trust comes over the long run. Um, uh, uh, you just can't substitute that. Time. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Time works in, in partnerships as well. Uh, the longer you, you know somebody, the longer you understand how they work, uh, the better you guys work together. So um, love to hear that. Uh, we have gone through our time, but before we move on, I want to <laughs> okay, ask you, sorry. I know it goes by quick and on I know the show. It does. Uh, before we uh, before we move on, I do want to ask uh, what your crystal ball says. You know, we're in a time interest rates right now are I don't know seven eight percent something like that. Um, yeah. So, what do you see for the next one to two years in terms of the economy and the interest rates and uh, what what's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, say that if Fed doesn't raise rates in December meeting, uh, like they're going to kind of think and. May, may be looking that way as a result of yesterday's CPI readings. Um, we're going to be embarking on a on about a two quarter period where it's going to be the best time in the world to get into a deal. Here's why: um, pricing has not fallen right the way everybody thought it would. Yeah, frustratingly so. <laughs> but it has fallen 15 percent, even a little bit more in some markets. And if you can get a deal under contract that will benefit from that that minute that we're in right now, and close it in that next you know within the, the quarter, then you'll see so much money flow in that will make prices rise. It'll, it'll not only that you know there's two things that'll make prices rise. One, rates will fall, um, and it may be a year. But, I, you know, the latest thinking is about 94 basis points of a drop between now and uh, December. Uh, sorry, the first of the year, 25. Okay. And that's new as of yesterday. And um, and then also, once they see these, the end of the rate rise, all the retail investors that are holding their $100,000 buckets of money are going to jump back in. Of course, many, many larger buckets of money, too. But I but I access those folks that are $100,000 investors quite all the time. And those are the people that are sort of afraid and they're just holding out and they're, they're not doing anything with their money. The minute that becomes change, if there's a pivot, everybody's going to jump in at the same time. So both of those things are going to cause the following year, 26, 25 and 26 to be really opportunities where you can get in and out quickly if you so choose. Um, but it's going to be the highest, the steepest part of the curve for the next five years in my opinion. So that's, that's my crystal ball. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I, I like the version and uh, hopefully hopefully that's what happens. Uh, All right. <laughs> so uh, that does end up the first section and it's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Sure. You bet. Let's do it. Starts with books or just any form of education. Could be YouTube channels, uh, documentaries, whatever. I need two recommendations, one for general life wisdom and then one for real estate. Okay. Let me do the the... The general life wisdom, I'd say, is probably the probably the book that's said the most on this show. But it's uh, it's uh, rich dad poor dad, rich dad poor, rich yeah, <laughs> rich dad, poor dad. And, and and then with respect to the real estate stuff, I really like Kenny Magana, uh, uh, Mac McElroy's books, the ABCs of I don't know investing, mm, yep. real estate. They're just a great series. Without getting, they're not long. They're easy to get through. They're easy to reference. So those are my favorites. Did I get that right? Is that it? Yeah, I think I think that's what it is. I, I haven't read it myself, but um, they've oh, yeah. said on this podcast before. Yeah, um, good recommendations. Rich Dad Poor Dad, always a classic. Uh, gives you a good overview of um, kind of how why real estate is so important. So, um, as right. an investment vehicle. So that moves us on to the next question. This is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Randy 
way back in the uh, in the eighties when he was first getting started in, started in real estate. Uh, go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Don't get out of this business. That's it. Stay the course. Um, that kind of echoes what a lot of people have said on this podcast is they wish they got really? started earlier. Um, so if you're out there and you're listening and you're just thinking about getting started in real estate, do it now. Go get it. Go get a deal. Get it done. And then yep. uh, and you'll never forward. leave. Stay. Stay the course. There you go. All right. Next question is about the US. It's a big place. A lot of opportunity out there. Give me the single metro you're most excited about investing in today. Well, I got uh, I got uh, three metros that I'm currently in and 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 love. Actually, four, but I'm going to say three: um, the Dallas market, the Nashville market, and the Atlanta market. We are uh, in the Huntsville market, and I love it. But I think it's going to be a minute before it's ripe again because of the building right there. So, um, the, the other lot markets we're looking at really important are two North Carolina markets, Raleigh and, and uh, Charlotte and South Carolina, Greenville. We, we think all that is fabulous over the next decade. Perfect. Um, all right. Next question is about finding the deal. Uh, it all starts with getting in contact with the seller um, and uh, generating those leads. So what's your favorite way to get new deals? Oh, we always, we work really hard to, to cultivate relationships with brokers in the markets we want to be in. We try to know all the top players at the top firms and uh, have a, you know, first name relationship with them. Uh, and it's important because, I, you know, I don't work hard at chasing off, quote unquote, off market deals. Uh, first of all, there's no such thing, in my opinion, having been a broker all these years. I, I You know, they say they're not on market, but it simply means that, that the seller is unwilling to sign a listing agreement that promises a, go, a, a fee. And so it, it it allows the seller to not really have to sell. If he's signed a, a, a listing agreement and the, and the broker delivers a, a uh, ready, willing, and able buyer uh, at a price that's been previously talked about, then the seller op- is obligated to pay a fee. And that is, is a, uh, it's a starting point of commitment that I always like to be present when I'm a buyer because I don't want them to be able to walk away and not sell. There you go. Um, yeah, brokers are are a great way to find good deals. Um, and that all starts with relationships. So love that. I'm going to move us to the second to last question. This is about lessons learned. Not every de- deal goes the, <clears throat> the way that we expect it to. Um, but in those deals are the gems of lessons that, uh, that kind of help us in our future career. So give me one single deal um, that kind of went sideways, kind of went away that you did not expect. And then what was the biggest lesson you learned from that? Boy. Oh, geez, Jenny, help me with this. What's the deal that went sort of sideways? Um, I don't, I haven't lost, any, I haven't lost money on a deal yet. Um, but yeah, would, it doesn't have to be a losing deal, but just something you oh, bought it, something happened that wasn't expected. And then what was the lesson that you took from it? Okay. All right. So I want to tell this story because it's so, it was a, such a cool thing was we bought this deal. It had been on the market forever. It was a medium sized property in, in the Midtown area of Nashville, which is now sort of becoming this boom town. But in 2018, it, it wasn't quite yet recognized as such. This built 1960 building that was just driven to absolute 
terrible state. And that's why I had been on the market all this time. And um, we, uh, we, we put it under contract. And then before we had to close, we actually made a deal with a very, a global Airbnb operator out on the West coast, um, signed a 10 year lease with them. Oh, wow. Renovated it to their specifications and sold it uh, in just over a year and, and tripled our equity. So right. it was it was a fun deal, um, and it was and it gave it was a great lesson for thinking about the ending before you, you even really have to begin, and uh, and we did that really well. So yeah, that is um, that's a strategy I've actually never heard of. Is uh, getting it's almost like a triple net deal where you get a a, a tenant in place and then sell the. That's right. It really was. You know, Airbnb in Nashville is not unlike Seattle, I'm sure, in that there's a lot of energy around it. And so all of the folks that are that are in the in that space globally are, are looking for properties to own in Nashville. And they wanted to take a whole building over and we did it for them and put a lease on it and sold it to a, to a, a, another investor. So, yeah, that's uh, that's smart. I like it. Um, all right. That leads us to the very last question. This is for the listeners. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you. What is the best way for them to do that? Randy at randyholland.com. Alternatively, you can reach me at Randy at, I'm sorry, rholland at urbanequities.net. But they both uh, take take you to me and, and uh, would love to chat anytime about all things multifamily. Perfect. I will put that in the show notes. So if y'all want to reach out to Randy, just click the little more in the description. It'll pull down the full description in there. You can find his links, um, randyholland.com with two L's and, uh, and those emails. All right, Randy, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Gabe, thank you for having me. Look forward to next time. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me and Gabe at the real estate investing club.com. Um, if you guys want to support the show, all we ask, give us a like, subscribe, share all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company Kaizen properties is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form, fill that out, and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.